0: Lifeway. Lifeway. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network You're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions Podcast Five My questions. name is Daniel M And that voice right there is Todd Adkins what? And we are here today with another edition of a book breakdown Cue, Cue the music, music. Alright Air guitar <laughs> Can I'm, you play the guitar? No No? What instruments do
1: you play? None. You
0: don't play any instruments? Not even yeah. the
1: spoons? No spoons. No, nothing. No, nothing. I play with my children's xylophones from time <laughs> to time. I did have um. You can't I do a recorder or a of piano, but okay. you've never done the recorder. I I think I did like in elementary school or something. I played the trumpet like in sixth grade. There you go. But then I was like, wait a second. I won't be cool. (laughs) I'm
0: out. Yes. All right. Well, talking about the book breakdown, the team of teams by general Stanley McChrystal has been a, I don't, I don't want to call it like a sleeper cell uh, because it's sold a lot
1: of books, but it's, but it's not talked about often enough within church circles. I would totally agree with that. Now we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times. Yes, you're right. This is the first time we're Breaking it down.
0: Yeah. Let's get started. And if you've missed any of our other book breakdowns, just go back into our library and we've done a ton of different books. This is a little bit different than our regular interviews or uh, really even our podcasts on particular subjects. This is instead five-ish questions. Five. Actually, that should be the name of the podcast. Five-ish questions. The five-ish leadership questions podcast. Because mm. <laughs> I don't think we ever stick to five questions anymore. No. No? Not very often. It's meant to be a framework. So. Yeah, it is. All right. So actually that's a that's a good segue because in the team of teams, they talk about the idea of adaptability being the key competency to leadership development. So even when oh. it comes to podcasting,
1: you yeah, need to be adaptable. Totally. But you have to you really have to make it so that your team can adapt and meet any complexity that it comes across. Because it talks about the world has moved from complicated to complex.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this book will start with the first question. What is it and why does it matter? All right. So Todd, keep on going complicated to complex.
1: Yeah. So complicated to complex would be, you know, now in order to lead an organization, you almost have to have a degree in chaos theory. Mm. Um, Whereas before, almost in any area of expertise that you had, you could learn it and continue to practice that craft. Um, in you know, this case, we're talking about the military and it talked about how the military tactics had to change in meeting Al-Qaeda, um, AQI uh, is what they refer to it as in here. But the big thing was that, hey, before you had some predictability or a reducible number of um, really scenarios that might happen and you could plan for each one, whereas now – you cannot plan for this. It's, it's so complicated, it's become complex, and we can't co- just plan for any contingency and prepare for that. Now we have to be able to adapt to almost anything that comes down the pike. And the way to do that is moving from what, a traditional hierarchy format and moving to a team-based format.
0: When you think about that move from from really going from a hierarchical approach of leadership to more of a network style, uh, this book, in addition to Accelerate by John Cotter, they really do oh, go totally. hand in hand because there's a sense of in this new complex world that we are living in, uh, yes, hierarchy. You know, it, when you look at the book, it's not that you disregard hierarchy and it's no. entirety, but there's a sense where because things are so complex, we do
1: need a flatter, faster, and more flexible approach to team. Well, and that's what the book Accelerate is about. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't yet said, oh, what books are like this book is one of our questions. But Accelerate is one of those because he says it takes both. Um, Cotter does. Yeah. Most yeah, yeah, organizations, and we would say churches, start out as networks. And then as they grow and they hit, uh, Daniel would say, probably the 150 barrier, uh, the, the, it breaks down from being able to be, you know, one core kind of mm-hmm. group community. And then you begin to have hierarchy come into play. Yeah. The number of people that you add on staff, the number of ministries, all those things begin to bring hierarchy and organization. Why? Because there's risk there. Anytime you have centralization, it's usually a result of risk. Uh, perceived risk or fear. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so with that, there's too much to lose and we make it hierarchical. But it means that less, um, less, you know, quote unquote, bad things happen maybe, but at the same time, it is not near as scalable. So he would say, as we're looking at team of teams, how do you scale teamwork is ultimately the question. Not how do you scale teams, but how do you scale teamwork in an organization? No,
0: I love that. That's such a good point there. And so when you think about this book and really the the context surrounding it, General Stanley McChrystal, when he took command of the Joint Special Ops Task Force in 2004, he, he basically realized that the way that military had been done, leadership in the military had been done, were failing, right? You think back to 2004, Al Qaeda in Iraq, they are very decentralized, they can move quickly. Uh, There are a lot of bombs, you know, there's just so much around their strategy that was infiltrating the American strategy uh, when when it came to traditional warfare. As a result, this book really did come, come about as a result of what he learned Uh, In the sense of changing more of this hierarchical from a hierarchical approach of leadership to an adaptable approach. And in this book, he because the guy I mean, this guy's brilliant, but uh, because he also does business consulting and leadership consulting and all that stuff, he really uh, use the stories and his experience to translate that into the leadership world. All right so when you think about the the book quick hitters well this is our second question we'll just quickly go through and give you a good sense of the book and then we'll get to especially if this is your first time listening into one of our book breakdowns we'll get into how this affects leadership in the church. So first of all who is the author? Well general. <laughs> yes. He's a retired four-star general. Uh, so he's a former commander of the U.S. and in International Security Assistance Forces in Afghanistan, uh, you know, Joint Special Ops Command. It, you know, it goes down, 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 you know, all the things that he's done. It's cool. He's actually a senior fellow at Yale's University um, Jackson Institute for Global Affairs. He teaches leadership there, founder of the McChrystal Group. So yeah, I mean, you'll, you can look up his Wikipedia and, and take a look at all of his good history around that. Todd, who do you think the book's written for?
1: Uh, I mean, the book is written for leaders, specifically business leaders for Mm -hmm. the most part. Um, You know, each of the 12 points, chapters, are basically one bullet point. Uh, And it's really helping you walk through, hey, when he says team of teams, the, the subtitle is new rules for engagement in a complex world. Yeah, And so he's just breaking down, okay, how has this shifted the way we lead and the way we lead teams specifically? How has that shifted? And he walks you through each point.
0: Yeah, completely, completely. So when you think about this book, uh, we there, there are so many quotes to pull out from. And and the thing about this book, I, I don't know if it's as much one-liners as maybe some of the other books we've done, but honestly, there
1: are paragraphs and chunks of the book that I
0: just want to recite for you, but we won't Amazing. bore you with
1: that. And there's things that we've pulled out in the past, like you know the ideal size of teams and even how teams function. Yeah, uh, in a broader sense, that this book really hones in on. So, yeah, uh, yes, we will. There's only so much we're going to be able to cover, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Now, this is a sit down, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's a few questions ahead. I know,
1: but I'm just <laughs> telling you. I just want to set that up. You're right. It is a sit down.
0: All right. So favorite quotes, favorite quotes. Here's the first one. Efficiency remains important, but the ability to adapt to complexity and continual change has become an imperative. Now, one of the things that I like doing with teams, uh, especially teams that are considering hiring, and uh, because one of the things Todd ar- around hiring a team member, obviously there's the competence side of things that you you want to know that the person has competence or totally. uh, not not just are they fully competent to do the role today, but can they grow in that competence? But, but I feel like what's even more important than competence is whether or not they can fit into the values of the team. And today, in light of this book, he really does uh, emphasize that adaptability is more important than efficiency. So think about this, right? If you were to draw a line on a page and, and you had on the one side efficiency and the other side adaptability, where would your team land? Where would your Where would you place your team? Where would you place yourself? Where would you place, uh, you You know, because your your team, your culture, your leadership, those around you, because that's really going to help you identify where you're at and how you need to shift in light of this book.
1: So one a uh, quote that I would say would dovetail with that is: "Instinctive, cooperative adaptability is essential to high performing teams." So. That I want to caveat that with instinctive. Mm. Of course, how do you make your team have the same or similar instinct? Yeah, that's all going to come back. That's all going to come back to culture because I'm going to go ahead and do another quote. Uh, To win, we had to change. Surprisingly, that change was less about tactics or new technology than it was about the internal architecture and culture of our force. In other words, our approach to management. And management would be, you know, the day-to-day uh, leadership in in a, a given team. So I love those two things together, especially coupled with what you said, because it is helping them have the right instincts and then cooperative adaptability is essential to higher-performing teams. But instinctive cooperative adaptability and how we create people that are instinctive is we have to be absolutely 100% as clear as possible in our vision and our values. And if you've got that piece down, then you've got your culture down. And then people will instinctively... Make the right decisions. Once you have people that are able to instinctively make the right decisions, it's all about adaptability to whatever it is they're facing. And they will make the right decisions and they'll make those together. Does that okay. make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay. So I know we usually go fire off quotes here back and forth, but you uh, said something really interesting there that I wanted to double click on.
1: Interesting. Right? You disagree? No. Or interesting?
0: No, no, no. Interesting, as in I haven't thought of um, the, I, I haven't thought of instinct. As something you can learn, and it that is. you can grow in, yeah. So let's 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 break that down a little bit. Okay, so if instinct is something you can learn, and I fully agree, if you have the value there, if if you have you don't know, like design to lead, could, right. if you have the conviction, the culture, and the constructs, and you celebrate that, you know, the culture, then you're going to be able to reproduce that behavior right. and that value. But during the interview process, is there a way to measure instinct? In regards to adaptability?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know about it in regards to in- adaptability, but I think one is do their do those those natural instincts that they have match and align with your culture and what you want to be? Yes. And okay. who you want to become. Uh, in that way, I'd say you can ask them a lot of scenario-type questions yes. to see whether or not they would fit in your culture. Mm. Because at the end of the day, what I really want is somebody to make to take the same. I would want to be able to take the five guys that are you know or six guys on my team and put them in separate rooms and ask them the same question and have them answer in a similar way. Now, even if they didn't uh, create the exact same solution to the problem. It is what posture did they approach the problem with? That would be okay. awesome. Okay, no joke. This was not planned in
0: any way, but Ministry Grid, right? Yeah. The, the thing about Ministry Grid is yes, we've talked about all the
1: training. I don't even training. know where you're going now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've talked about all the training and all that stuff on it, right? right. But with the thousands of churches that are now on Ministry Grid, right. using it to train their leaders. One of the uses that churches use ministry grid for is for onboarding, right? right. Typically, typically it's onboarding of volunteers, but let's just quickly think about hiring, right? right? I mean, you and I are, are, are leadership assessment junkies. Totally. And when we had Steve Cockerman, I mean, that was a blast right. to talk about. Really not a poser, a genius. No, yes. <laughs> I mean this guy, this guy, brilliant. Legit. Yes. R- seriously, but but I mean, you know the, you know, Strengths Finder, right? Strengthsfinder does this super well where you basically have a question and you have two spectrums and then right. you agree, you know, it's this side or that side. I wonder what it would look like for a church, because you can create surveys in ministry grid if you created your own survey and ministry grid that was a part of the hiring mm-hmm. potential hiring checklist for new employees and you actually had those scenarios to measure right to measure and then compare how they would react right so instead of just verbally asking them you actually give them a, a you know slew of 20 different scenarios as right. a survey and see
1: how they would react which end of, which way they would decide That'd be very intriguing, actually. <laughs> I mean, again, for me, it's like uh, it's more matching the the posture than the necessary solution necessarily the solution to the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I do think, from an instinctive place, your instincts are basically how you're going to make decisions, whether you consciously make them or subconsciously make them, and so that all ties back to culture and yeah. shared behavior and shared values. So I totally think that that those things, at least in my mind, they match up really well. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So next quote. <laughs> I, I like this one. The temptation to lead as a chess
0: master, controlling each move of the organization, must give way to an approach as a gardener, enabling rather than directing. A gardening approach to leadership is anything but passive. The leader acts as an eyes on, hands off enabler who creates and maintains an ecosystem in which the organization operates. So I love that because yeah. as, as humans, we're story. I mean, we we remember story, we remember images, and a, a lot more than just you know than just facts or bullet points. So I love this because it's you know what would it look like for us to move from being chess masters to gardeners, right? When it relates to leadership.
1: Well, and too, if you wanted to use another na- analogy you know, think about uh, a mechanic versus a gardener or yeah. something that, you know, in a Western mindset, we have a tendency to think of it in more of the, more of the mechanics of it or cogs and wheels versus something that's more about cultivation. Uh, but the reality is that's probably a better view because, you know, we're cultivating the people under our care. There's so much we can do. Um, and then the rest is up to nature. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. Do you want me to give me yeah, yeah, go give, ahead. give one more? Um, the larger an organism gets, the harder it is for it to think and act as one. Hmm. Uh. So is that, are you saying something against large churches then? No. It's just that, okay, here is what we have learned. Like last month I was in India. Next month I'll be in Indiana. Here's what we've learned about <laughs> churches. <laughs> And doing pipeline stuff, guys. Yeah. Uh, they all struggle with the same problems. Mm. And I can basically, I, I can tell you out of 10, if your church lists the top 10, the church down the street or on the other side of the world would list seven of the same 10.
0: Mm. They
1: just would. I mean, we've both done this enough now um, to see that. So I, I, I definitely think that there's some of those things that, it's just that is the way that it is. And one of those things is as your organization, as your church grows, it becomes increasingly complex. Mm. And it is very, very difficult to bring clarity to all the necessary pieces. When you look at pipeline and the way we structured it with, you know, the 7S framework and all that, it's really the reason why we broke those down is to say I need to treat each one of these components individually and get Clarity for everyone in all of these different components. So, clarity is king. Yeah. If you want to scale, if you want to scale your team, if you want everybody to be on the same page, the clearer you can be, the better.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's good. All
1: right. Similar books. Well, we've
0: already talked about Accelerate by John Cotter, Starfish and the Spider by Ori oh, yeah. Broffin is a really great book that talks about decentralization and, and leading today and, and also extreme ownership by Jocko Wolnick and Leif Babin. That's another military book. one. Yeah.
1: It's a good, um, that is a listen book
0: in my yes. opinion. Yeah. Also because
1: Jocko reads it, <laughs> yes. which is fun. Too. And there's, Oof. you yeah.
0: know, different sound effects that they put in. Jocko. There too. <sighs> <laughs> All right.
1: Any other similar books? not off the top of my head. I just want to keep talking about this one. All right. So we've already shared how this is a sit down. You you, you already
0: agreed to sit down? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we need no to problem. debate on this. No. And even if you do listen to it, go buy the paper copy as well. Like yeah. Just buy it at the same time so you get both for cheaper. <laughs> Mark it up. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Now, before we get into the next question, which is how is this applicable to leadership in the church, which is really the, the heart of this podcast, uh, of this style of podcast, I wanted to share a quick word from our sponsor for today. Small groups typically meet once a week. But life happens every day. And that's why LifeWay created the Daily Discipleship Guide. This new addition to the Bible Studies for Life curriculum is used at the weekly meeting to help generate discussion. But it also contains five daily devotions to reinforce the learning all week long. This consistent time in God's Word helps create the habit of daily Bible reading and essential behavior for growing disciples. So you can download four sessions of the Daily Discipleship Guide at BibleStudiesForLife.com slash That's BibleStudiesForLife.com slash DDG. All right, now let's get into this. How is this applicable to leadership in the church? Well, (laughs) how is it not? Yes. All right, so adaptability, right? We talked about adaptability earlier. Adaptability is probably it probably is the number one takeaway for me at least uh, from this book. Both of us from a multi-site church setting, right. especially the complexity and the complicatedness of multi-site. Right, uh, especially the more the larger and the more complex a church is, the more important adaptability becomes. So think about this, right? Today, today, just doing what you did yesterday will not get you the same results tomorrow, right? If you ran the same playbook that you did last year to invite people and put on an event, it will not work this year. Now you can run the same playbook, but you're not going to have the same effect and you're not going to have the same impact as you would have last year because things are just rapidly changing, It's crazy. It's crazy. You look at this book, you look at Accelerate, you look at just the rapid change in our culture today. I mean, it's almost like we moved from addition to calculus overnight. And it's like, oh, what do we do now? What do we do now? And that's why adaptability
1: is so key as a result. Uh, I do think the other underpinning issue here comes back to culture. I hate to say it because we beat that drum all the time. But if you want to talk about how people are going to make decisions it does come back to culture and it come it does come back to adaptability but if you want people to be adaptive then you have to be crystal clear about your culture the other thing that you have to do is you cannot create savvy policies mm. savvy uh, processes of checks and balances and whatever to get things done at the oh man i in so many cases When somebody does something that is not smart or is in alignment, makes a decision out of alignment with where we would want to go as an organization, we respond by taking away that person's ability to make a decision. Mm. Or we say, oh, this will never happen again. We're going to put this policy in place or we're going to put this procedure in place instead of making sure that the person understands what decision they should make, why they should make it has the resources necessary to do it. Instead, we just make our system and process dumber.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So think about that, right? I mean, think about leading via policy versus Leah leading, not Leah uh, leading versus values, right? I mean, just think about that leading versus policy versus leading via values and culture today if you are still leading via policy, then you are leading like a hierarchical system, right? You are leading in a way that might've worked and might have said, okay, don't you have to follow me because you're gonna get your paycheck. Well, maybe for your staff, but not for your volunteers. No.
1: Maybe that's why you lack a lot of great volunteers because it, oh, you know it's, it's and that's why <laughs> that's why it's taken away from volunteers. You don't understand, yeah. Daniel. Things have to be done with excellence. And this ball was dropped or this was poorly done. So it's was it, tight person's, the reins. Was it that person's fault? Mm. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe we weren't communicating as clearly as we thought we were, yeah. or maybe we didn't set them up well for a win. Yeah, completely, completely. So, so in response, we bought a person to fill that spot instead of building a person to fill that spot. Yeah.
0: So when you think about leading via adaptability, right? I mean, if you're, if you're leading via policy, you're going to be leading with efficiency at the forefront, right? Especially the larger your church gets. But if you're leading via adaptability, right? And you're actually, you're, you're able to, and you're leading via values. I mean, you're going to be, you're going to have that adaptability more, really more a part of your DNA because you're saying, okay, in light of this situation, what do our values dictate? And based on your values, may, you may actually decide differently depending on the campus you're at and depending on the situation, right. right? Versus policies, black and white.
1: The higher you go in the organization, the less decisions you should be making.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because only,
0: only if you have a strong culture and values. Yeah. If you don't have strong culture and values, then everything has to
1: bubble up to the top. Very true.
0: Right? Because you're going to have that right. strong policy-driven organization.
1: Yeah. But uh, one of the things the book does talk about is, you know, we have to transition from the traditional hero decision-maker view. Mm. So what is that? The traditional, it's like you, you I'm the I'm the boss. Yeah. So. I'm the problem solver. Everyone bring their stuff to me. I have to make the decision. And people are afraid to make decisions on the ground without bringing it to us, Yeah, which yeah. slows everything down. Mm. So um, if you want kind of a visual of of what happens in an organization when it starts out, as we said, as a network, people have a shared understanding of what the win is. They have a shared understanding of what we value and, and why we're doing this. Um, and so whenever they get information, they process it through that and they what comes out on the other side is a good decision that matches up yeah what happens is over the course of time we gain complexity you know all these things that've we've already talked about um, and information comes their way and instead of making a good decision and moving forward mm-hmm. they put it through all the procedures all the processes and patch it patch it up through decision rights and chain and you know, all these cogs and wheels yeah, and it just slows everything way down. <laughs> That's going to sound normal, normal speed for yeah, everyone listening. at
0: So when you think about it like that, right? I mean, that is what is right. That is what has been standard yeah, and what has been propagated really as the way to grow your church. You want to grow your church? Well, follow these systems, follow these steps, follow these processes, and then you're going to get up there, have the right, right decision rights, have this for that. And I'm, we're not saying throw it all out, No. right? Because you look at the idea, the the what's in this book is, hey, it's not just about moving from hierarchy ne- to networks. You need both. Absolutely. You need hierarchies and networks, but unless you're values driven and you have that strong culture, then... It's gonna revert back to the cogs and the wheels and the the slower processes because you wanna get everything right. Right.
1: I mean, when it all boils down to it, guys, the person that is best able to solve the problem is the person closest to the problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's everything we learned from Toyota. And what what is that kaizen? Yeah. yeah. That entire approach, which is what? How old is that now? Uh, like
1: 30 years. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, again, I mean, you know, if you look at the way the military shifted, mm. it was command, it was definitely a command and control hierarchy based thing. So there are people calling the shots that aren't even in the theater of <laughs> battle. I yeah, mean, they're just, yeah. they're somewhere else. And so making sure that, you know, it, you, but you absolutely need both. So that's where we want you to hear us on. Do read the book, make sure you sit down and read it. Read it alongside Accelerate because you will have a better understanding of the balanced view of what hierarchy and adaptability look like together and hierarchy and network approach look like.
0: Yeah, and we'll put this in the show notes too, but I wrote um, a a couple articles on this on my site because I I did a few talks on this concept uh, that I just kind of did a quick summary around, okay, what are ways that we can move toward adaptability in our context. So we'll be sure to link that out as well. Uh, Okay, so our next question is, what are things that churches should ignore from this book? (laughs) You can't say nothing. You can't say nothing. I'll get going first. The danger of being obsessed with optimization. That is probably what I would say, right? Because you think about leading via values, leading via culture, and just this whole this whole pursuit that we have to be more efficient, right? Because we talked about that idea of efficiency and adaptability and, and, but in, 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 and through reading books like this, I mean, you're not going to read a book like this unless you are really wanting to optimize and grow your church and, and grow your impact, right? I mean, you wouldn't read a book like this if that wasn't on your heart as well. So in light of the fact that those are the types of people that will read this book, You need to be aware of not being too obsessed with optimization, right? Here's what he says in the book. Humans are great optimizers. We look at everything around us, whether a cow, a house, or a share portfolio, and ask ourselves how we can manage it to get the best return. Our modus operandi is to break the things we're managing down uh, into its component parts and understand how each part functions and what inputs will yield the greatest outputs. But the more you optimize elements of a complex system of humans and nature for some specific goal, the more you diminish that system's resilience right so he talks about optimization as actually something that goes against resilience a drive for efficient optimal state outcome has the effect of making the total system more vulnerable to shocks and disturbances right so i get what he's saying here All right i get that he's saying hey hey yes optimization is a, a a great thing that we need to strive to, toward uh, and optimization actually even though we strive toward that may actually cause you to be less resilient but I think talking about this in this sense doesn't really work within the church setting because the church is not I mean the church has systems we are built up of systems but to think of the church in, in a black and white system, you know, to really look at it through the lens of systems, I think is not, it's looking at the church more like, um, more like a a chessboard than a garden, you know?
1: Right. Um, I would say he gets into the garden thing toward the end of the book and he just starts talking about, you know, becoming more organic and I hate the word organic. Have you all ever picked up on that? listen to the podcast yeah I grew up on a farm. I could tell you what's organic. I didn't exactly <laughs> grow up on a farm but worked a lot it. yeah, but you know what I'm saying like it I think it's a dangerous thing to move on uh, to a eyes on hands off approach or a perception of um it, it it's you still need a strong right hand yeah. Um, it's just understanding more, you know, what would be a really interesting is coupling this with a, with, um, I'm trying to think of a good book on lateral leadership, but lateral leadership where, mm-hmm. you know, we have shifted from hierarchical leadership in a lot of places in our society that are successful anyway, to lateral leadership where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm in charge technically on paper. Uh, And in the org chart, however, I am smart enough to defer to this different specialists on my team and they are leading in this particular context. Uh, And that's where I think, you know, we can, it can be dangerous if we, if we go too far with it.
0: No, that's good. That's good. And this week, our last question this week, what can you do in light of this book? Read it. (laughs) I love this quote from the book, resilient systems are those that can encounter unforeseen threats and when necessary, put themselves back together again. So I was at, um, years ago, years ago, I visited my sister and her husband in tai- in Taiwan. And in Taiwan, there used to be the world's tallest building, the Burj Khalifa, uh, not the Burj Khalifa, the Taipei 101. Burj Khalifa now in Dubai is the tallest building. But when I was there visiting my sister, it was neat to, to go in and examine and, and look at the massive damper that they have in Taipei 101. Now think about this, right? I mean, there's a huge damper, a huge damper that will actually sway the opposite way that the building is swaying because, because Taiwan has a lot of winds and earthquakes and typhoons and, I mean, and Taipei 101 is only 660 feet away from a major fault line. So the architectural engineers actually designed the building, the structural engineers, they designed it to withstand winds of 216 kilometers an hour or 134 miles per hour, right? Think about that, right? For a massive 101-story building to be able to sway and to be built to sway is insane, and they've only been able to do that because they have a 660-ton mass damper, a steel mass damper it's pendulum crazy. that goes back and forth. So this week in your system, what is that damper in your church? Because <laughs> sometimes we try to build our churches with systems so much so that they are so rigid that if any change happens, you know, it's rejected because everything crumbled last time. What are ways that you can actually build resilient leadership, resilient systems so that you can adapt to the changes in our culture today? And for I I know Todd would agree with me here where where the way to do that is to lead via culture, lead via values and to have those set out, not with generic values, but with specific values that will actually enhance and move you toward the vision that God has called your church to.
1: I would say one of the one of the uh, best things you could do because a lot of churches listen to be like, yeah, I've got values, you know, they're printed and they're up on the wall, and uh, my staff can repeat most of them if we do a pop quiz on them. <laughs> awesome, let's do this this week. Pick one of those values mm. and ask staff and some leaders in your church, lay leaders, volunteers, uh, ask them to tell you a story Mm. about that value. Then you will see if they actually understand the value or not based on the story they tell. Yeah. Because, and you're like, wait a second, what? what?" Yes, yes. Because, for instance, at Lifeway, one of our values is do one more thing. Mm. Now, depending on who you ask, I would say that we have experienced some value drift there. Yeah, because some people will go do one more thing, send one more email, say one more word, <laughs> and that's not what that means at all. Yeah. It's about the posture of it, mm. the intention of it. Really comes out of doing one more thing that is intentional, that makes that you know piece of curriculum, that training, that. Whatever we're using to serve our churches who are in their mission of making disciples, what is it that will make it that much better, be that much more intentional? Do one more thing to make this product even better than it is. Make it a better resource for the church. Make it easier to use. All those things. So um, now, that's why I say if you ask different people in the organization, in the church, What does this value mean? If you have values, then you're going to find out really quickly if you actually have created a shared consciousness. That shared consciousness, that shared culture is really what's underlying this to help people make uh, good decisions and things like that. That's where hierarchy and network really come in. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Well, we hope you do pick up a copy
0: of this book. It'll be worth your time. And another book that we'd encourage you to pick up is Leading Small Groups by Chris Surratt. Now, Chris Surratt is one of the hosts of the group's answers, group answers. Group Matters? (laughs) Yeah. No, it's Group Answers. Well, it used to be Group Matters but it's group oh. answers. Yeah. So they they recently passed their 100th episode and, and this month actually his brand new book Leading Small Groups How to Gather, Launch, Lead and Multiply Your Small Group is out. So we encourage you to check that out as well because in that book you will learn how to create an environment where spiritual growth will take place and communities are changed. And I don't know any other person to better lead this discussion and to talk about this uh, than Chris Surratt. He's a master practitioner Right. Leading, teaching on this. Mafia. He, he is part of the Surat Mafia. <laughs> Just look for mafia stories in and throughout the book, and <laughs> it'll be definitely worth your time. So be sure to pick up a copy of that. And also check out the Rainer on Leadership podcast if you haven't done so recently. They're part of the network that we are a part of as well. And I mean, they've talked about thoughts on ordination, habits of highly effective preachers, uh, and eight church fights that are fading are some of the recent subjects that they've talked about so be sure to check that out as well and we will
1: catch you guys next time